All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eagleburg Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online, we are in the third and final week of a series called Left to Our Own Devices, and we've been asking the question, how are our phones changing us? Now, before I dive in, I just need to let you know this is not a bash technology series. I spoke in the first message of this series, and then a few weeks later, I ran into someone from our church who was on their phone. And when they saw me, they went like this and hid their phone. Now, as a pastor, I'm used to people doing that with cigarettes and beer, okay? They, they see me like, there's a pastor, you know, and they quick, like, extinguish that thing as fast as they can. But it has never happened to me with a phone before, like I'm the phone police or something. So let me just tell you, you don't have to be guilty about using your phone. You don't have to feel guilty or ashamed of that. That's not the point of the series. Our hope and our prayer has been that each of us would begin to ask the question, that I saw Denzel Washington raise in a recent interview with the BBC. Take a look, this is quick. So what is the long-term effect of too much information? The polarization of the electorate? Or a false. meter spiritness? And false information as well, because the, the of, whole fake news pick thing. One, pick one, it's not just one. That's the flavor of the day, every day is something else. People have to understand, are you using your device or is your device using you? Can you put it down, can you turn it off? What I'm saying to people is, to all of us, I'm not knocking the phone. What I'm saying is we have to understand, we have to at least ask ourselves around the world, you here in England, wherever you are, what is it doing to us? That's the question we're asking in this series is what is our phone doing to us? And so in week one, we cited evidence that said that our phone is making us more distracted that we're used to scanning and scrolling through our phones, but we're not used to thinking deeply and critically about issues. Then last week, John Alexander talked about insecurity and how we're becoming a whole generation of people whose mental state is tied to their likes and to their followers. This week's message is titled, We Ignore Real Relationships. Because for all the conveniences that our phones bring to us, researchers are becoming concerned that we are less engaged with real-life, flesh-and-blood people than ever before. Katie Leonard is on our executive team. She's an executive assistant at our church, and she's a great cook. She oftentimes will bake something for our leadership team meetings. And so a few months ago, she made s'mores pie. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm like the guy in Forrest Gump with his shrimp. I'm that way with marshmallows. I mean, I like plain marshmallows, roasted marshmallows. I like marshmallows in fruit salad, jello. I like marshmallow ice cream. I was at Grand Old Creamery in St. Paul a few weeks ago. I had their marshmallow ice cream, and it had like dime-sized marshmallows in it. So s'mores pie is right up my alley. Melted marshmallows, chocolate, graham cracker crust. It was so good, I had two pieces. And when the meeting was over, I noticed that there was still two pieces left. And I had no shame. I said to Katie, I said, hey, can, can I bring those two pieces home? I wanted to give each of my kids a tiny, tiny, tiny little bite, and then I could have a piece and a half to myself. <laughs> I'm an only child. That's kind of how I do things. So I get home, and I had the two s'mores pie in an open bowl, and my hands were full. So I had to put the bowl on top of my car to get my other bags out, and that's where I forgot it sitting on top of my car in the garage all night long. It was one of these 90-degree days, you know, smelly, musty in my garage. The next morning, as I was pulling out of my neighborhood, I accelerated, and I heard a thump, 
And I looked in the rearview mirror and I saw the bowl that had contained my s'mores pies rolling down the street. And it was like slow motion. I was like, no. And I whipped the car mid-street, just whipped it as quick as I could in reverse, went around to look for my two little s'more pie friends. But they were lost. And so I drove to work thinking, why, God? Why? You knew how much I was looking forward to having those for dessert. I got to work. I parked where I normally do, and I went up to my second floor office. And from my office window, you can see my car. And so a couple hours later, mid-morning, I took a break from writing the message. And I leaned back, looked out my window, and there sitting on top of my car was the two s'more pies. (laughs) This was a bona fide miracle of God. Okay, you call it a coincidence if you want to. I am telling you, I thought to myself, God, you do love me. I went running down to the parking lot. And this is where I should just cut the story off. I should just go, you figure out what happened next. I looked around to make sure nobody was looking at me. And then I grabbed the s'mores pies off of my roof. And I ate them later that day. Now, here's the point of that story, and I actually do have a point to this. When you love something or someone, you don't let any obstacle get in the way. You don't worry about the s'mores pies sitting on the roof of your car in your garage all night long. You're like, whatever. You don't worry about the fact that they're sitting directly on top of your dirty car roof as you drive to work past construction crews laying down tar and fumes going all over the place. You're like, I don't even worry about that. Because when you love something or someone, you don't let any obstacle get in the way. When you love your kids or your spouse or your parents or your friends or your God, you don't let any obstacle get in the way. Except that's what's happening for a lot of us. This phone, this device that in so many ways brings conveniences and helps to our life, for some of us, has become an obstacle. It's become a barrier to real-life, flesh-and-blood relationships. It's causing us to love or to ignore the people that we love the most. In 2015, Brandy Johnson, who is the mother of two young twin boys, decided to conduct an experiment. Generally, when her kids would play on the floor, she would be on her phone, emailing, text messaging, that sort of thing. But this one day, she decided that for one hour... She was going to get off her phone and she was going to mark on a piece of paper every time her boys looked at her for attention or affirmation. When she was done with that hour, she had 28 marks on the card. Here's what she wrote on a post on Facebook. She said, I tallied how many times they looked at me to see if I saw their cool tricks or to seek approval of some sort. I couldn't help but wonder what sort of message my technology use has been sending. 28 times those boys would have wondered if the World Wide Web was more important than them. 28 times they would have wondered if mommy approved or found them as interesting as what she was looking at on her phone. 28 times I would have missed a chance to show them love and attention. 28 times. Now, the opposite extreme of that is the helicopter parent. And they're just right there watching every move that kid makes. And they're like, I can't believe it. You got the two Legos to stick together. Kid's 10. (laughs) 
And they're just, you know, you're the smartest kid ever. So I'm not saying that we go to that extreme. But what I am pointing out is that our phones, which promise us so much connection, in some ways are having the opposite effect. We're more disconnected than ever before. Just take teenagers, for example. In a recent study done on ScienceDirect.com, they found that the average teenager spends seven hours a day in front of a screen. Now, that seemed really high to me, but even if it's a few hours less than that, that's still a pretty significant portion of your day. 65% of teenagers said that they rarely socialize face-to-face, and 63% said that text messaging was their primary form of communication. They send and receive, on average, get this, 167 text messages per day. A friend of mine posted this picture on Facebook several years ago. These students are sitting next to Santa Monica Pier, and the ocean is right over there. And one of the most amazing things that God has ever created, and none of them are even looking at it. They're like wave after wave, the ocean. Sitting around the table is other human beings, which is the most amazing thing that God has ever created. And yet they're not asking any questions. They're not talking to one another. They're looking at a screen. I read an article recently titled, Have Smartphones Destroyed an Entire Generation? And I think that's a little bit over the top. But in this study... They talked about how teen depression and suicide has skyrocketed since 2011. We are in the worst mental health crisis in decades. And there is evidence to support the fact that these devices that we're putting in students' hands are a contributing factor. For example, the National Institute Against Drug Abuse. They've been studying teenagers since 1975 so they can look at trends. And the most recent evidence is clear that if you spend more time on average on a phone or a screen, you are more likely to say you are unhappy. The students who said they spend on average more time on non-screen activities, they were more likely to report that they are happy. Now, again, these are averages, so you don't need to freak out about this and say, you know, no screen time ever. But in this study, there was no exception. Eighth graders who spent 10 hours a week or more on social media, 57% more likely to say they were unhappy. 10 hours a week is a lot of time. But even those who spent six to nine hours a week on social media, which is a little less than an hour a day, probably fairly average for a lot of teens, they were 47% more likely to say that they are unhappy. In the study, the teenagers would write things like this. They would say, well, I... I just feel so lonely, and I feel so left out, to which we would all say, well, wait a minute, you're you're on social media. That's, That's why you go on social media, so that you don't feel left out. It seems that for all the promises of connection that social media makes to us, we are becoming more disconnected than ever before. I know I'm throwing a lot of statistics at you, but let me just give you one more. In this study, which was not a Christian study, They found that teenagers that went to church or youth group once a week cut their risk of depression in half. In half. I talk to parents all the time, and they're like, oh, you know, we love the church. We really want to get our kids there, but we're just so busy. I mean, we've got practices and recitals and birthday parties. And let me tell you something. I get it. 
My kids are busy in activities as well. And there are weeks when I go, boy, I'm just so tired. I don't know if I want to go to church this weekend. But if you came to me and said, as a parent, as a father, here's a pill. And if you give your kids this, their risk of depression would be cut in half. I would do, I'd move heaven and earth to make sure they took that pill. I would do whatever it took to get them there. Conversely, teenagers who spent more time on average on social media, 27% more likely to say that they are depressed. Now again, I'm not trying to bash on social media, but I am trying to raise a warning flag that we might be raising a whole generation who know the exact emoji to use, but don't know the right facial expression. What does the Bible have to say about all this? You'd expect nothing. I mean, what could have possibly a book written with quills dipped in ink on scrolls of parchment paper have to say about Snapchat and Instagram? But this is one of the things I love about the Bible. It is relevant to every generation. And not only is it relevant to every generation, but it's the one source of information outside of ourselves as human beings. It's the one source of information in this information overload era that can critique us as humans. You see, if you don't read the Bible or you don't pay attention to the Bible, most likely you're just floating down the river of culture. And you're just going, well, what do the people on TV say I should believe? And what do my friends on social media say? And what's, what's the latest popular opinion poll? And what is that celebrity who I really look up to on Twitter? What do they say I believe? And you never take a step back and ask the question, what does God say that I should believe about this issue? Look at a couple of these verses with me. Second John, verse 12. It's, it's a small letter in the New Testament. You don't normally hear it quoted in church. But John writes these words. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Now, he is using paper and ink. He's writing this in a letter format. We read those words today. We go, paper, ink, like, of course. But at that time, paper and ink was modern technology. That was the most modern form of technology that John could use to communicate. He says, I'd rather not use paper and ink. Instead, he says, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. So that why? So that our joy may be made complete. John says, I'd rather not use this form of communication, but I'm going to. It's nothing wrong with it. But it's not a substitute for face-to-face -face communication. Because face-to-face -face communication is where the joy is found. Now, that's an interesting statement for the Bible to make thousands of years ago when you lay it up against the recent evidence that suggests that teenagers who have less face-to-face -face communication are more unhappy. They lack joy. Here's another verse for you. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Many of you are here today because this is a habit. You're in the habit of gathering together with other people, of meeting together. You're in a small group or you get together with a friend to talk about your faith. It's a habit. It's either a habit or it's not. He says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And then he adds this statement that seems odd to me. And all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the day? Well, it's the day that Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. Why would it be more important to gather together 
the closer we get to the return of Christ. Well, could it be that as we get closer to the return of Christ, that our culture will become more opposed to God and godly values? And could it be that if that were to happen, it would be more important for you to have a few people in your life that help you grow closer to Jesus Christ? More than ever before, we need to be connected in community. Left to our own devices, we will retreat to our homes and to our phones, but that might leave us feeling anxious, lonely, and more disconnected than ever before. Which is why I want to raise the question, how can we prevent our phones from getting in the way of real relationships? Let me give you two ways. The first one is this. Charge your soul as much as your phone. You charge your phone at least once a day. What about your soul? As I mentioned, I, was, I spoke in the first message of this series, and a few days later, I was at the dinner table, and I was returning an email. And my wife kind of called me out on this. She's like, have you made any changes to your life after you gave that message? <laughs> I kind of mumbled something, and, and then she added this statement, which kind of stung a little bit. She said, because I haven't. I was like, you're my wife. If you don't apply this message, who's going to? I said, truly, you didn't, you didn't make any changes to your life. She said, mm, not really. And this led into a conversation about how intellectually we know things to be true. If you have a smartphone, you intellectually know. You probably waste too much time on it. You would acknowledge that. The problem is we don't have the discipline to do anything about it. But what effect is that having on us? What effect is it having that we're always connected, that we're always available, that we're always responding to someone who's not in the room, who's not in front of us? One of the effects of that is that over time, your soul will start to lose power. And the mistake that many of us make is that we think our phones can recharge our soul. We think after a long day at work or school or you know, a tough week, oh, I'm just going to you know, play video games, watch TV, scroll through my phone. That's going to fire my soul back up again. It's not true. In Psalm 23, one of the most famous verses ever written in the Bible, David says this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. It'd be amazing to be able to say that. I, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Another translation says, he restores my soul. Who restores your soul? Is it Apple? Is it Android? No, it's the Lord our God. But how can he restore your soul when we're always emailing, texting, and Snapchatting all the time? One pastor that I know has a no-technology day for his family on Sundays. Now, some of you think that pastors wake up in the morning and put on their angelic underpants, and they're just kind of glowing all day. So you, you hear that, and you go, oh, what, what is he, like Amish or something? No, he's heavy social media user throughout the week. His family uses technology. But for one day a week, they say, you know what? We're going to love God, and we're going to love each other. We're going to go to church. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray. We're going to go on a walk. We're going to take a nap. We're going to work out. We're going to shoot some hoops. We're going to have dinner and talk. We're going to go get some ice cream. We're going to love God, and we're going to love other people. To which some of you get a little nervous, and you think, well, wait, wait, wait. 
what if one of my friends on Instagram posts a picture of their coffee and they've got one of those creamy, foamy hearts on top of the coffee? Someone told me after the service last night, it's called a tulip. So that's, that's dumb. It's shaped like a heart. Why would you call it a tulip? This is a coffee nerd. You just had to let me know that. That's what it's called. But, but what if you, miss, you might miss out on that? But what if you miss out on the life that God wants you to live because you're so busy watching the life God wanted someone else to live? On Wednesday of this week, July 18th, we're going to do something called National Night Off. And this is just our church, so I have no idea why we're calling it National Night Off. We, apparently, we think we're a big deal, okay? We, we want to be, we're big, we think we're bigger than we really are. But, but we're calling it National Night Off, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask our church to turn your phone off for that one night. And, and we're not doing it because phones are bad. We're not doing it because you need to hide your phone or feel guilty when you use your phone. We're doing it because we want to be digitally disciplined. We want to control our phones instead of letting our phones control us. We want to charge our souls as much as we charge our phone. Here's the second way that you can prevent your phone from getting in the way of real relationships. Put limits on your kids' screen time. Andy Crouch, in his book, uh, TechWise Family, which I would highly recommend if you have teenagers in your house, he says this in his book. He says, the more you entertain children the more bored they will get. He goes on to talk about boredom and how physical pain is a sign that something's wrong with your body and that boredom is a sign that you are losing your capacity for awe, wonder, and delight. It's a sign that we're becoming consumers instead of creators. God did not create you God did not create human beings to consume entertainment for five to seven hours a day. He did not create you to sit in front of a screen, playing video games, scrolling through a phone, watching TV for like five, seven hours a day, just consuming entertainment. God created you in his own image. And he is a creative, creating God. But how will students, how will kids learn to create when they spend a significant portion of their time consuming? How will they learn to create art and music and architecture? How will they learn to set goals and to work hard and to overcome adversity when they're spending a significant portion of their day in front of a screen? And not only that, but what are the risks involved to unmonitored, unlimited screen time? Well, the first one is obvious. The average age that kids are now exposed to pornography is eight eight years old, and they're not finding it in a stack of magazines, you know, in a closet someplace. They're finding it online. They are one click away. They are one search away. Psychology Today did a recent study where they found that teenagers' sexual behavior is highly influenced by the media that they consume. And by media, I mean music, movies, social media, all of it. And what they found was, it wasn't just like, oh, there's a really explicit scene in that movie. We shouldn't watch that. Or this movie's kind of violent. There's a gun or something like that. That was what was the most impactful, what was the most life-changing was the worldview that was being taught. 
the worldview that says, hey, just have sex with whoever you want whenever you want it. I mean, I'm going to have sex with this person, and I'm going to go do it with that person. I'm just going to kind of... That was the mindset that teenagers were normalizing. And they're normalizing it through music and media and movies where they go, well, I guess that's just what people do. Contrast that to what the Bible says in Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, he says, Think about such things. He says, whatever is pure. I am unapologetic as a parent that I want my kids to have a pure mind. I do not want them to see something at the age of 13 that's going to become a habit in their brain and it's going to affect them when they're 23 or 33 and they're married. Now, some parents will push back at me and they'll say, oh, come on, lighten up. They're going to see it at some point. You, You can't control that. And I say, you know, that's maybe true. But age of exposure matters. Where you are in the development of your brain, that matters. Now, I hesitate to bring this up to some of you as parents because I know that you just get anxious about this. You're like, oh my goodness, it's eight years old. And you just start to freak out about all the things your kids could see or be exposed to. So I want to give you three practical tips that allow you to say, you know what, I can't control everything my kid's going to come across or see, but I can feel confident that as a parent, I did what I could. Three practical tips. Here's the first one. Keep devices in a public place. I don't think teenagers should be going to bed with their phone, texting at 2.30 in the morning. Need a break. Turn the phones in before bed. Keep them in a public place like a computer in an office or something. Number two, communicate with your kids about technology. See, it used to be you talk to your kids about sex, you talk to your kids about drugs, add technology and media to the list. And when you talk to them, it's not just don't do this, don't do that. It's here's why I want this for you. Here's why this is important. One of the things that I have told my almost preteen son or my preteen son is I have said to him, I trust you but I don't trust that guy who's trying to make money off of you. You see, the pornography industry is a billion-dollar-a-year industry. And one of their target audiences, one of their primary target audiences is who? It's preteen and teenage boys. They're sitting in a marketing meeting around a table going, if we can hook that kid now, we've got a customer for life. And so I will say to my son, I trust you, but I don't trust that guy who's trying to make money off of you. And so I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to check your internet history from time to time. My son wanted to watch a movie a while back that my wife didn't feel comfortable with. And very insightfully, she told him, you read the reviews yourself. You go in PluggedIn.com, which is a Christian website that reviews movies, and you read the review and you tell me if this is a good movie for you to watch. He read the review, handed the phone back, and said, you know, it looks really dark. I think I'm going to pass. He's got to learn to do that now, because someday he's not going to be asking me if he can watch that movie. you got to communicate with your kids. Here's the final tip. Above all else, guard their hearts. It would be a mistake to monitor screen time and not monitor their heart. If they get really angry when you say, hey, it's time to get off that device, you should be asking the question, why are you so angry about this? What's going on in your heart? Look what it says in the Bible, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, 
for everything you do flows from it. He says, above all. In other words, there's nothing more important that you can do with your kids. In fact, if I could, can I speak to those of you who are 18 or younger for just a moment? And I do this with a little bit of trepidation because when I spoke in the first week of this series, I had a mom come and tell me that she had her 17-year-old son watch the message. And I don't get the impression he normally comes to our church or that he you know, normally watches the messages, but I think mom was just like, you're watching this. And so she made him watch it, and his response to her was, that old man doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> Which I was really thankful she let me know that that was his thought about me. So I know some of you are like, dude, you're an old man, you don't know what you're talking about, but, but let me just give me a couple minutes of your time. You know, oftentimes when I talk to those who are under the age of 18, they'll say things like this. They'll go, you know, you're too uptight, I can do what I want. I mean, the music I listen to, the movies I watch, the media I consume, it doesn't have a big effect on me. I can do what I want. And did you know that that was an argument that people made in the Bible? In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's having this conversation with someone. He says, I have the right to do anything you say. So these people he's talking to, they go, well, we can do whatever we want. Paul says, yeah, but not everything is beneficial. And they respond back almost like a parrot. I have the right to do anything I want. This is like a modern-day conversation between teenagers and parents. I mean, I'll say to my son or something like, hey, get off that device. I can do what I want. Hey, you got five minutes left. I can do what I want. Now, time to come to dinner. Time to do what I want. You know, this is just like, this is right there. He goes on, he says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Let me ask you, why do you get so upset when your parents ask you to turn off that video game or to turn in your phone for a little bit? If, if it didn't master you, if it didn't have a control over you, you wouldn't care. You'd be like, okay, here, sure. Your anger is a sign that that something is beginning to control you, and you don't want that. You see, one day you are going to leave your parents' house. You're not going to live there anymore. And, and guess what? When you do that, you can play Fortnite for 20 hours a day if you want. You can eat ice cream the whole time you're doing it. One hand up here, other hand scooping in the ice cream. Or if you need both hands, just reach out, you know, and get your ice cream like that. I don't know what you're going to do. But you can do that for 24 hours a day if you wanted to. But that would not be beneficial to you. It would not get you to where you want to go in life. It would not get you to where God wants you to go in life. Stop making your parents put limits around your screen time. You do it for yourself. You're mature enough, not because you have to, but because you want to. Sure, come home from school or something and go, you know, I just need to relax. I've had a mentally stressful day. I'm going to play video games for an hour. But then don't make your parents keep coming to you and going, hey, it's time to get off. Turn that off. Come on now. You just do it for yourself because it's beneficial to you. In fact, for all of us, not just for those of you under the age of 18, let me ask you, what matters most in your life? Think about that. When you get to the end of your life, what do you think is going to be most important to you? My wife went to her cousin's wedding recently, and at the reception, they played this song, and they invited everybody out on the dance floor. And after five minutes, they paused the song, and they said, if you've been married for five years or less, step off the dance floor. And they started the music again, and they said, you know, if you've been married for 10 years or less, off the dance floor. 
And the goal was to get to that one couple that had been married the longest. It turns out it was my wife's grandparents. They've been married for 62 years. Here's a picture of them on the dance floor for that last dance. My wife's grandmother is in a wheelchair. But I have watched this man love her and serve her and fulfill the promise that he made 62 years ago, which was, I will love you in sickness and in health. Both of them pray for their kids and for their grandkids on a regular basis. All their kids and grandkids have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Sarah's grandfather this weekend took his 13-year-old great-grandson to a Christian music festival in Wisconsin. And this was not like, I don't think the Gathers were playing at this, and it wasn't like a hymn sing or anything like that. This was like Toby Mac, crowd surfing, kind of outdoor music festival. I'm guessing he was one of the only people in his mid-80s who was there. But as he nears the end of his life, he's realizing what's truly important. And he wanted to take his great-grandson to this concert so that he could grow in his faith and his relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, who is it that you need to invest in this week? What relationship do you need to say, you know what, I need to give that some more time? Maybe it's one of your kids. And you just say, you know what, I'm going to take them out and do something just special with them. Maybe it's your marriage. You don't stay married for 62 years and still look at each other like that when you're just on a screen. You get that over dinner and talking. You get that by going on walks and holding hands. You get that through spending time with that person. Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe you say, you know what, God, I feel so distant from you. I've had, I've had time to do this, but I haven't had time for you. But who is that person, that relationship that you need to invest in this week? Because when you love someone, you don't let anything, you don't let anything get in the way. You don't let any obstacle come between you. Let's stand and pray together at all of our campuses. God, I just I thought about this after my prayer this morning, but just that there might be married couples here today who needed to see that picture. And they needed to be inspired that they can make it. And then even though things don't look real good right now, that they're going to keep their promise and push through and look at what's on the other side of that. God, for others of us, maybe we've just gotten so caught up in emailing and texting and our phone and all the things that go on with people who aren't in the room. And it's caused us to ignore the people who are, the people who matter the most. Or maybe it's caused us to ignore you, God. 
God, I pray this week that we can get back to what matters the most. We're still going to use our phones. We're still going to be in front of screens. But, but there would be real moments where we would apply this message and we would say, you know what? I'm going to spend time with this person. I'm going to spend time with you. And that we would really think about what matters the most in our life. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.